using marriage as our example this morning for the message. And, you know, marriage is, is good. And who's it designed by? It's designed by God. You know, one thing that's always hard when you uh, teach on marriage, and I struggle with it, is I'm always thinking about also the people in the church that um, maybe aren't married yet, or through life circumstances, you know, they're, they're no longer married. And so sometimes it's like, oh, it's such a hard subject to share on with that aspect in mind. But then I got thinking about it, and, um, but, and I got thinking about it, and I was just like, well, if you say you're not married currently, I would propose to you that you are married. And some of you might be like, what are you talking about? There's nobody living in my house. There's nobody sitting by me this morning or standing by my side. Well, you're wrong. Because Christ is standing before you and beside you today and in your home and around you. And he is the groom and we are the bride. And the Bible calls us the bride of Christ. And God set up marriage in a particular way to teach us a lesson about his relationship with us. And he uses marriage as a symbol for what his relationship with us should look like. So in learning about marriage today, I hope you will also learn about the unending and inexhaustible love of God that he has for you. And we can learn from these biblical principles laid out in marriage, and you'll find it applicable in our relationship with God this morning. And if you make our relationship and marriages a signpost that points to God, if you could notice this morning, there's a bunch of signs around the room. And then right here in the middle is a signpost. We're supposed to stand as a signpost that points to where? To God. To Jesus. A signpost, a signpost points to the direction that you want to go. So where is your life pointing? Where do you want to go? We're supposed to stand as a signpost that points to God. And oftentimes our sign begins to point towards other things. Like, as you can see on this sign here, it starts to point other directions. It starts to point this way and that way and this way. points towards pride. It points towards maybe lust of the flesh and other areas that can come into our lives that begin to alter the direction of where we're pointing. And then that's when the other signs from God begin to come into play. Uh, You need to take a detour here. You're going the wrong direction. Hey, road construction or road work here. I need to do some work in this area of your life. Uh, You're approaching a stop sign. You need to stop. Are you paying attention when you are going in these other directions With your signpost pointing the wrong direction, are you paying attention to where God is pointing you? 
He's constantly reminding us there's only one way for the solution with anything that we're dealing with in our lives. And he does that quite well in the example of marriage. And a lot of times he sends us these signs because he wants us to stop what we're doing and repent and what? Do a (laughs) U-turn. Turn around, you know. And that's literally what repent means. It means to turn around, to stop what you're doing, to put your direction and your attention back towards God. And that's what we're called to do, to be these signposts towards Him, pointing towards Him. So the purpose of talking about this is to inspire us to live a life in the Spirit, always growing to be a better example, a better signpost to Christ. And we, none of us are perfect, are we? And, but we do bear the image of God. Because in Christ, we are made, what? Whole. In the same way, the community that we're in is flawed. The Rogue Valley is flawed. There's flaws in the Rogue Valley. Even in this church this morning, none of us are perfect. And if you say you are, then you just have lied, and you need to turn around and repent. (laughs) And in that same way, even in marriage, things are flawed. You know, there's things that come along that trip us up and we work through them. You're supposed to work through them. And so as we talk about this, we should not, I don't want you to hear in any way condemnation in this message. What you should hear is an overwhelming love of Christ for you. It's not about condemning you. It's about an overwhelming love of Christ for you. So as we look at marriage, we look at the principles, how it applies to each of us and every one of our lives and how it relates to our relationship to God. So if you hear words today as I'm speaking in your head, anything other than loving, if they come across as condemnation, that is not from our loving Father. Now what's the difference between condemnation and conviction. The Holy Spirit brings conviction, brings a road sign, because he wants you to head in a different direction. And it's to benefit you. Where condemnation is meant to tear you down. To tell you that you're worthless, that you're not worthy. Where conviction brings healing. And restoration, because it is a different direction than what you need to go. And we need to, when conviction comes, we need to repent and turn from those ways. You know, when Melissa and I were married, by today's standard, we'd be considered young. Of course, back then, it seemed like we were the right age. You know, we, we were 21. You know, before, in previous generations, people used to get married even younger than that. (laughs) But nowadays, people tend to get married a lot older, in their mid to upper 20s, some people in their 30s. You know, uh, we both lived here in Medford. We grew up in Medford. We were both born at Rogue Valley Medical Center. 
And you know, people have told us that, you know, marriage can be difficult, and especially in that first year, adjusting to things can be difficult. But, you know, in all reality, with Melissa and I, our first years weren't that difficult. A lot of that comes from people that sewed into our lives on how to deal with relationship stuff and issues. Um, Also, it comes from us dating for seven years before we got married. That helped a lot (laughs) because we got, got through that infatuation state and began to learn about each other. And as we grew in our marriage, you know, when difficult times came along, um, we learned to work through those together. We partnered with each other as we went through these things. And, you know, that's what marriage is about. You enter in and you settle into the things and you go through them together. And that's what Christ is saying as our groom to his church I'm here to partner with you and go with, with you together through the situation. So God designed marriage and he designed it from the very beginning of time. As we see here in Genesis 1.27, it said, says, So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female. He created them. He created them. It's not just all about the guy. There's the other half, the female. He created them, them. And sometimes in the past, when messages have been preached, it's been focused that it's all about the guy. No, it's not. You know, male and female are different in a lot of ways, but there are a lot of ways that they complement each other. And it's designed that way. And then when they begin to complement each other, you complement God through bearing his image in your marriage. In Genesis 1, there are several things listed that are different, but yet they complement to each other. The land and the sea. The plants and the animals, the heavens, and the earth. And then finally, male and female. They, were, they are different, but they complement each other. The land cannot exist without the sea. Animals cannot exist without the plants. Males cannot exist without... The female. You can't, two males do not produce life. Two females do not produce life. You can always tell quickly what is a deception by Satan. It does not produce life. In God, life is always produced. There has to be the, the area where they complement each other to bring forth that life. In us, for us to have life, we have to receive the groom. 
Christ for life to birth forth in our spirit, to come alive. So the first commandment here we see is to be fruitful and multiply. That was the first commandment given to mankind, and no wonder why the enemy comes and attacks it so much in our lives. You know, it not only deals with sex, but it also deals with our lives. We are meant to be fruitful and multiply in everything we do. Not just sex and making babies. <laughs> it's in everything we do. We're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. But the enemy comes and attacks that because he wants to steal the fruit that God wants you to produce. In Genesis 2, we see marriage revealed even further. Verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become, what? One flesh. This is the joining together as male and female, joined in holy unity of marriage. They help each other better reflect the image of God. So at the very beginning of the Bible, it paints this period, this picture of marriage. This is used even when it talks about the body of Christ, that we are his bride. And when we get into the second last chapter of the Bible, the idea of marriage is summed up in this, in Revelations 21, verses 1 and 2. All things made new, starting with verse 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Heaven and earth were meant to be together, and at the fall they were separated. They were split apart. But through Jesus' death and resurrection, they were drawn closer back together. And through Jesus Christ, we have access now to heaven because of that. And at the same time, male and female were designed to be together, and at the fall were separated, and now through Jesus Christ can have a restored marriage. Not necessarily sometimes a perfect marriage, but a restored marriage. In Ephesians 5, in this passage, Paul speaks of marriage, and it's probably the most quoted section of scriptures when a wedding happens. I know I've used this many times in a wedding ceremony. And uh, it's the ideal way that marriage can reflect or point the story of Christ and the church. We will see that everything is about Christ and how our marriage can reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. This is about our marriages reflecting his love, Christ's love. In Ephesians 5, starting with verse 21, it says, Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Most people start at verse 22 
in marriage and uh, weddings. But I wanted to back up a verse because I want to re- remind us that this is submitting to one another in the fear of God. I want you to know there is an equal and mutual submission. And when Paul talks about the husband being the head of the, the church or the husband being the head of the marriage, he's, re- he's referring to Christ being as the example, the head of the church, and how Christ is the example for us in our relationships. So when we read this section here, which has been used and misused many times over the years, starting in verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. For the Lord, for the, oops, for the husband, is the head of the wife. Some husbands act like the Lord. <laughs> when they should be making Christ the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. This is where you husbands need to pay attention. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. See the example of Christ and the church? Continue on, verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this ties in back into Genesis 2 there. Verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see, see that she respects her husband. So here in Ephesians, Paul is talking about Christ, how Everything, all of heaven and earth, are summed up and brought to fruition in Christ. That what Paul is talking about, if we go back to chapter 1, he talks about how heaven and earth are all summed up in Christ. That man himself is summed up in Christ. Then he goes talking about how all this can be a reflection by joining together. And he even talks about the Jews and the Gentiles, that they complement each other, um, each other in their differences, and that they can be brought together where? In Christ. And in chapter 3, where he begins to talk about the church and how the church can find unity because of 
Christ, in Christ. He expands on it in chapter 4. And then when he gets to chapter 5, he talks about marriage and says how a man and a woman can come together and mirror and reflect the image of God. How? In Christ. You see a theme here? In Christ. So even if you're not married, understanding these principles takes us takes us back to how God connects us on how we are to live in Christ. We are to live each day and each moment in Christ. This is the area of the Bible that is, like I said, been used inappropriately many times when it says, wives submit to your husbands. So I want, again, I want to point out to you that his entire comparison for us husbands is Jesus. In reality, this really places more responsibility on us guys. Because if the, if the man is supposed to represent Christ and lead his family, he doesn't do this through an authoritarian dictatorship. He doesn't command or put down or tear down because he's in charge. I'm in charge. I will make the decision. No, you're supposed to, supposed to compliment each other. You're supposed to come together as a couple in marriage. He, and he needs to do this through serving his wife. Let me show what Christ did in Matthew twenty twenty eight. It says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. As a husband, we come to serve our wives. And we give our lives and we serve our children and our children's children. We give our lives for many. If it's ever used to say, well, the husband has the authority over the wife, this is the wrong idea here that we can see that Paul is saying. What he's really saying is, men, hold that place of being the image of Christ to your wife and to your family. You might ask, how can I do that? By laying down your life. Not asking your wife to sacrifice to meet all your needs, but instead that you will first be the one in laying down your life to serve your wife and to serve your family. This is the correct image of what marriage ought to look like. Then in response, when you are obedient in your life to Christ and how you represent yourself to your wife, and to your family. Then in response, and I believe this is part of the great mystery of coming together as one, when it mentions that in the verse, the response of the wife will be the same thing. What Paul is conveying here is quite profound. He's asking us to really think about it here. He even calls it, like I said, a mystery at the end of the passage. 
And there's a couple things I want us to take away from this. One is that marriage is intimate. Marriage is intimate. Christ is close to us. He is near to us. He is right here. He is in you. It is an intimate relationship. Likewise, in marriage, it is an intimate relationship. Christ, he is present with us. He is called Emmanuel in the Bible, which means God is with us. Marriage involves this type of intimacy where you share everything and you become one, as Scripture says. It says in Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So in Christ, we are brought near to him. We, as his bride, are brought near to our groom, Christ. He is near to us, and marriage involves that level of intimacy. In marriage, we have to rely on God in order to rely on each other. And one thing Melissa and I have found that the more we leaned into God, especially in the hard times, the closer we drew together. It didn't separate us. But if we didn't rely on God in a situation, we were on two different levels. But when we pressed in together, because he's the one that's going to show us the signs of what we need to do. We started to share an an intimacy that said, I'm with you through whatever this difficult time is. And that means sharing things with each other. And yes, guys, that means you're going to have to spend some time talking to your spouses. You're going to have to spend some quality time talking to them. When Melissa and I go out or whenever we're together, we... Especially these devices are such time eaters. These are relationship destroyers. (laughs) They are. Put it down. I tell my kids all the time when there's a show on because everything is streaming nowadays. They're like, so in the moment watching something, and I'm guilty of it too, but I've learned in recent You know, there's a little button on the remote. It it pauses it. That's not going to go away. It's still there. But that person in front of you may not be there one day. Your time is precious. This intimacy means both people opening up. It means not hiding things from each other. It means building an intimacy that is built out of love and strength for each other. So you're able to go through the difficult times together and share everything. You should never hold back anything from God, and we should mirror that in our marriage as well. What's funny is when we choose things like lust or pride and go the other direction, 
we think we have this weird obsession, uh, weird uh, obsession or obsession. That's what I want. That God doesn't know what's going on. And we do the same thing in our marriage. But I can guarantee you, when you're doing this other stuff, your spouse can feel that something's off. Because in marriage, you are one. But when you're doing something that you shouldn't be, there is a separation. And something's off. God knows there's something off. When he came down into the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve ate from the, the tree, he knew that something was off. He knew what had happened. But he was asking them to share it with him. But they chose to hide it. And the same thing, we, we get embarrassed by getting caught up in something that has happened in our life and we don't want to share it because we haven't, one reason is we haven't spent the time to be there for each other, to truly be there for each other in intimacy. Now, I'm not saying right now that Jeremiah said that I should go home right now and just unload every dark thought and everything that has happened to my spouse. I'm not saying that because you haven't spent the time to build your relationship to that point to share those things. And that has to happen. Your relationship needs to grow in intimacy. And you need to learn to start supporting one another. Recognizing when something's broken. To be able to hear about pride or ego. To hear that each other, that one of you is struggling with or what they're struggling with. To have empathy and compassion for each other. To understand what that person is going through. And you have to spend that time. Because marriage intensifies the image of ourselves because we become more and more aware of who we are because we see it through the way our spouses see us. Their perspective is a great tool to use in relationship to help you grow. And a lot of times we veer away from it because we're afraid of rejection. But it's okay if you spend the time in intimacy to develop your relationship to that point that creates that area that you can share areas that you are struggling with. Areas that you need to grow. And the same way with our relationship with Christ. He wants us to open up and share those areas that we are struggling with. To share with him so that he can release the provision that is needed in that area for us to grow. To become stronger in your bond with each other. But when you try to control the image or the way your spouse sees you, it says that if you really knew me, then you wouldn't love me. 
and you would leave me. And oftentimes, because we have that, we shy away from what is really what marriage is about. The coming together, the love, the growth, the building. Because marriage is about life. That is what marriage is about. What did I say at the beginning? Things of God produce life. You should be able to talk about in a relationship what you're going through. And when your spouse shares some hard things, learn to receive it not as condemnation, but as conviction to move forward. In relationship, our marriage, we can carry that over into our relationship with Christ. If we set these false perimeters, we can carry that also in our relationship with Christ. And he doesn't want those false walls. He wants it open. He can handle it. He can take what you're dealing with. God, if you really knew who I was, you wouldn't think I'm worthy of your grace. You would reject me. No. He died for you. He sent his son for you. The groom came for you. In all these things, we start to try to manage our reputation with the spouse. But God doesn't work like that. He never leaves you, no matter how flawed you are. This is why when you have a relationship with Christ, you're able to offer it to someone else, to offer someone else unconditional love through your relationship with Christ. Now, there are instances, I will put a little asterisk here. There are instances where someone is so out of control in abuse or other things like that, and that's covered by Scripture. There's a point that you may need to step away from that relationship until that person receives the revelation for what needs to happen in their life. Now that's covered in scripture. I'm not saying you, I've seen a woman before stay and be severely abused. That is not the image of Christ. And for her safety and for her life's sake, she needs to step aside for a moment. She cannot honor that. She cannot submit to that because that is not of Christ. But there is an unconditional love that goes along with marriage that God has designed us and destined us to work towards with our marriages. When we work on intimacy, we find out from our spouses, what do you need? Ask what their needs are and try to learn to be present for each other and to be intimate in the way of knowing that our spouse has needs and we need to meet those needs in Christ. That's what Jesus did. He became human himself. He said, I see your suffering 
and I came down, and I sit in your suffering with you. In Christ, we can offer that same response to our spouses, to those around us, to our children, to help them bear the image of God together. And we can encourage each other in Christ, in our marriages, in our family. And these are the things that show that we have the love of Christ and have the grace for each other. Make space for your marriage. Take time for each other. I will say, based on that video, Hubby Vision, I will say as men, one of the biggest lies of the enemy is that you cannot understand your wife. It's one of the biggest lies out there. Yes, men and women are different, but if you fully believe in your relationship with Christ, what does Christ know? He knows everything. He is the answer for what you need. He will teach you. He will guide you, men. So if you spend time in your relationship with Christ, he will show you how to understand your wife. He designed her. He knows how she works. And I can guarantee you that if you ask Melissa, does Jer know me? She would say yes. I know when something's off. I know what needs to be said. I know when to speak into a situation. Because I've spent the time listening to Christ for our relationship. And likewise, you men can do the same. And I challenge you to do that. So Melissa and I have been through about 9,855 days of marriage. 27 years. And I got thinking, well, how much time do I have left in marriage? Not asking that as a bad question. Oh, how much time do I have left in this marriage? No. <laughs> no, I got thinking about marriage and the days in marriage because it is so enjoyable. And the same with our relationship with Christ. It is so enjoyable. The enemy tricks us out of so much enjoyment in those relationships. And I got thinking about how many days do we have left? And I was thinking, well, if we live till 80, that's about 30 years. So Melissa and I have 10,950 days left. So we're we're almost halfway. <laughs> but, you know, I, was, I got thinking about that. And how do you want to spend the rest of your time with them? One thing about the perfect relationship in Christ is we have eternity with him. But I only have a finite time with her.
How do you want to spend that time? We need to spend it intentionally in all our relationships. Second thing I want you to learn about marriage is that marriage is sacrificial. Christ sacrifices all for us. And so Paul teaches us to lay down our life for our spouses just as Christ laid down his life for us. And in Ephesians 5.25 it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. What this means in our lives is that you don't need to be the brave guy that jumps in front of the bullet for your wife. That's not what it's saying here. Yes, I would do that. I would stand in front of a bullet for my wife. But that's not what it's saying here. It means that you need to die daily to your selfish desires. Laying down that every single day for your wife. Those selfish desires. Because you're there to serve. You're there to serve as Christ serves the church. It is a sacrifice. It requires you to do something to give up your desires and lay that down. It's sacrificial and it lays down your own desires to pick up your spouse's desires. I will share this. When Melissa and I first got married, I had desires in my life, you know, and I was one of the desires I did feel the calling to be a pastor at some point. Melissa felt the calling for family. <laughs> and I was like, well, how does I I need to go to school if I'm going to be a minister, but she wants a family now. And so I felt like at first like this is a desire of my heart that I want to do and I'm the head of the household and I get to choose. Well, we didn't choose that. We, we chose family. And I kept wondering how this desire of my heart was going to come to, to be. And um, there's, my grandpa was a pastor, and you know there was some training with him. My uncle was our youth pastor. There was some training with him to the point that they ordained me at Covenant Life Ministries, and I, I became the youth pastor there. I still wanted the education part, you know, just a deeper level. And so when our church came together with New Song, Pastor Dan, um, through Rose City College, was able to offer me several of the courses through that on my Christian education, that deeper level, that desire that I had. So even though I laid down my desire, Christ brought that desire back. It comes. It happens. And we work through things together. i got to wrap things up. You can hear the kids getting antsy back there. I think our timer got off, didn't it? Okay. 
Last thing, marriage is, is a covenant. It's a vow. It says that no matter what you do, I will stay with you. It doesn't say I'll be here for you unless something better comes along or things get really difficult. It says I'll be with you no matter what until what? Death do us part. Even if you're flawed, have things wrong with you, I want to be with you and I'll connect with you, learn to connect with you. I'll say my goal in life is to show you the unending, inexhaustible love of Christ. And I commit my life to you. And I'll have to share more on that at another time. But I just wanted to spend some time because we do have our groom, Jesus Christ. And currently in my Wednesday night group, we're going through a a teaching called Conversations with Jesus. And one of the keys to a good relationship is communication. And so I wanted to take a minute here at the end of service just to kind of activate that in us, to have those conversations with Jesus. And so David's going to put on a little bit of music here, and I'm going to ask you a couple questions. And I don't want you to overthink this because one thing you'll learn in a good relationship is you'll get an immediate response. So as you develop your relationship in Christ, as you grow in Christ, as you, the bride, uh, work with your groom to grow in who you are in Christ, he wants you to ask the questions. He wants you to spend time with him asking some even the hard questions. So here's a question for you. Jesus, and I'm going to ask if you want, I hope I get some volunteers of what Jesus shares to you real quick. Jesus, what difference does it make to you that I have lived? Jesus, what difference does it make to you that I have lived? Take a moment. Receive what is answered. something on that one and you're willing to share stand up and speak loudly Jesus what difference does it make to you that I have lived That's how quickly the answer can come. He'll speak to you right away. He's your room. You are his bride. He wants to display you in all the splendor. Next question. Jesus, if I messed up my life and tried to run away from you, how would you pursue me? Think about that Someone get on that. Jeanette? He would pursue me daily, moment by moment, because I'm his. 
How does that speak to your relationship with those around you? Are you pursuing those around you daily? Every moment. As Christ is pursuing you. Anybody else on that question? You would never give up on me. Now, we're going to switch gears a little bit with one last question. It's okay to ask Jesus how he felt about a situation. When you are going through something and you you come through an area in the Bible that's going on and whatever, whoever's going through it, you can ask Jesus, how would you feel about that situation? And he'll answer. Let's, let's do a fun one. Um... So Jesus is walking down the beach. Jesus, how did it touch your heart when you invited those fishermen along for the ride and they dropped everything and came? Jesus, how did you feel about that? This is a two-way conversation. You can also ask Jesus how he felt about that situation. When these guys just dropped everything they had and came, how did you feel? Willow, back there in the back. He was overcome with excitement and joy that here were these guys and they just dropped everything and went with Jesus. Anybody else? Real quick. All right. Let's wrap it up. One last verse. John seventeen twenty four. the Amplified. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given to me as your gift to me, may be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. He has loved you before the world was even formed. Before you even came into being, he has loved you with an everlasting love. That's the type of relationship that Christ wants us to display in our relationships around us. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning, Lord Jesus. We just pray, Lord Jesus, that these words spoken this morning, Lord, challenge us in our relationships with one another, Lord Jesus. We just declare over each one of us this morning that we will lay down everything of us and take up our signpost that points to you, Lord Jesus, in our relationship. And we just declare that over each one of us this morning. In your name, amen. If you need prayer for anything, we have our prayer team up front. You can come forward and receive prayer, but you are free to go. Be blessed in Jesus' name.